Good morning. Let me refresh your memory as to how this one series of talks came about. Many, many weeks ago, I just felt impressed by God to just drive around our city, go to different locations in our city, and I I drove everywhere kind of doing what I call windshield evangelism. And as I'm driving by different neighborhoods and businesses and different parts of our city, I felt impressed by God more than ever before, more burdened than ever before, more intimately concerned than ever before for our city. I felt as if God were showing me the despair, the brokenness, the financial disasters, the relational problems, the marital problems, the the lostness in our city. And and I felt God impress upon me in a strong way that it's now time to become the church. It's time for you as the pastor of this church to begin to raise this church up to become the church. Not do church but be the church. There's such a difference. Not to go through the motions of church, but to actually be the church. Why is there such a need for this one? Because God is so focused on the one. You see, somewhere in the world, in one second, 1.8 people die. In one minute, 107 people die. In one hour, 6,420 people die. In one day, 154,000 people will die. In one year, 56 million people will die. And with two-thirds of the world professing not to know Christ, that means that two-thirds of 56 million people who die in the next year will be separated upon their death from God for the rest of eternity. Why become the church? Why be the church? Why the one? Because we're in a race. You see, God wants us to be concerned about the chair. In fact, God is watching how we do the one. He's paying very close attention to how we do the one. And if we do our job right and a soul fills this seat, just maybe if we do our job right, that they'll sense that we care. They'll see that we care. They'll hear that we care. And just maybe their life will be changed forever like Brandon Graham's life. Isn't that an awesome story? There's so many more one stories like that in this church and definitely in this community. You see, we as a church, we Calvary, we have one purpose, we have one goal. We are one team. Say with me, one team. One team. A little deeper. One team. Again, one team. All in unison this time. One team. Wow. You wouldn't work playing football, but good. We are one team. Today, I want to go a little bit deeper on this one concept with you. I want you to open up your Bibles with me this morning. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 9. 
And I also want you to turn over there, hold your finger there, and turn with me over to John chapter 17. Uh, Yeah, wow. John 17, uh, verses 20 through 26. While you're turning there, we're going to move around a a little bit in your scripture today. This is something that I I really feel strongly about that you need to hear. And while you're turning, let me do this. A few weeks ago, I want to tell you this story. A few weeks ago, our youngest son, Jacob, who is seven and will be eight this month, he has this way about him. And if you know him, everybody in here will laugh um, just thinking about him. He just has this way about him. And I'm sitting in our den, and Jacob comes walking up to me. And I know him well enough by now to know that he had this proposition. There was something on his brain. His face was very stoic. He came beside of the chair, not in front of the chair, but beside of the chair. He's a shrewd negotiator. He was standing face to face with me. Our eyes were making very intimate contact. And he said, Dad... And he pondered for a minute. He said, you know, it's my birthday. My birthday's coming up. I said, son, I know that. He said, dad, I know what I want for my birthday. I said, what? And he said, a cell phone. (laughs) Your reaction was my reaction. I said, son, now, now why do you need a cell phone? What do you possibly need a cell phone for? Now, he never heard that question. He shot right over the top of that question and he went to the kind of cell phone that he wanted. As if I had not said a thing. He said, Dad, I don't want just any cell phone. I want an iPhone. (laughs) Yeah. I said, son, let me tell you something. I'm your dad and I don't even have an iPhone yet. He said, yeah, but dad, I'm the one. He said, I'm the one, and it's my birthday. So I looked at him as serious as I could, and I said, son, you better get to stepping because you're not getting a cell phone. Just as soon as I said, get to stepping. Now, this is where it really gets funny because you can see Jake doing this. Just as soon as I said, get to stepping, he broke down in the middle of the floor in some kind of Michael Jackson moonwalk. I mean, he was doing this step like, I was like, I was blown away. I said, Jake. How, how did you learn how to do that? I, I just, my, my attention went straight to what he was doing. And I, I'd never seen him. He was gliding across the floor. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. I said, how did you learn how to do that? And he looked at me and he said, Dad, Dad, it's, it's easy. It's just one step and then another. It's just one step and I wish I could do it. But, and then another, I can't do it. <laughs> Take one step and, and then an, another. And I began to think there's got to be a sermon in this. So here we are. As I was thinking about that, I began to, in my mind, think about the one-step concept. I began to retrace some of the steps that Christ took. Because Christ took some awesome steps. He took steps. He would take one step into the direction of a person and their lives would be changed forever. He took a step in the direction of this person and that person. It was incredible. His steps were were so exciting. They were so extraordinary. They were so integral and, and, and so amazing. And as his life would intersect and connect with someone else, there would be an explosion of goodness. And their lives would be changed forever. And it all began 
with one step. And this happened countless numbers of times. I want to show you, in fact, Matthew chapter 9. I hope you're there. Matthew chapter 9. Let me, let me read this to you. I, I love this, this passage of, of Scripture I think it is a powerful passage. It it shows us the humanity of Christ. It shows us the power of Christ. It it shows us the seriousness and the passion and the heart of Christ all at once. Look what it says with me. I'm going to read a few verses to you. Starting with verse 1, chapter 9, Matthew. Jesus stepped into the boat. Say stepped. He stepped into a boat crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus takes one step in the direction of this dude and he is, his sins are forever forgiven. That in and of itself is an incredible miracle. But then if you go down and look at the rest of this, look at verse 6. It says Jesus says something else to this paralyzed dude. He says, get up, take your mat, and go home. Because you're healed. Wow. Jesus steps into this guy's life and he's forever changed. Look at verse 9. I want to show you something here. As Jesus went on from there, it says that he spotted this guy named Matthew. As he went on, as he stepped on from there, he spotted this guy named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And he said, follow me. And Matthew got up and began to take steps in following Christ. Now, now skip down to verse 11 because I love what verse 11 says. Verse 11, the Pharisees get together and they see all of this stepping. They see this moonwalk that Jesus is doing and they don't understand it. And they begin to to question uh, what's going on. And they're like, how is he doing this? Why does he step in the direction that he steps in? And look what they say. Verse 11 says, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he step in the direction of the lost? Why does he help people? Why does he do church the way that he does church? I don't understand this. Why does he step that way? Now skip down to verse 18 because this is when it gets real good. It says this. I love this verse for a couple of different reasons. It says, while he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him. This ruler, now get this, there's two points you need to grab here. This ruler comes and he kneels down right Before him, it shows us a couple of things. The ruler kneels in front of Christ, which shows us the ruler acknowledges Christ's authority. But then there's something else that I grab out of this. The ruler kneels down in front of Christ, which tells me that Jesus was very inviting. He was very welcoming, or else the ruler wouldn't have done it. So then the ruler tells him about his daughter who has died. And, and, and so Jesus steps from that situation going to her house. The Bible says he went with him. And as he went, the Bible says that he connected with this lady with the issue of blood. He heals the lady with the issue of blood. He goes to, uh, to the ruler's house and he brings this dead girl back to life. When he steps out, look at this. When he steps out of this girl's house, he runs right into two blind dudes. This is all in one chapter. He heals these two blind dudes, and when he turns around from healing them, he walks smack dab into this demon-possessed guy, and he heals him. What's amazing about this one chapter is that there are seven or eight different times where Jesus is very intentional, and he steps into the lives of others. 
Seven or eight different people come into contact with Jesus and they're changed. They're ministered to. They're welcomed. They're healed. Seven or eight different times. It is as if Jesus is doing this. It's as if Jesus is walking through the streets of the city and he's saying, oh, there you are. And responding to their need. Oh, oh, there you are. And responding to their need. Oh, there, there you are. And responding to their need. There you are. And responding to their need. Jesus is constantly stepping in the direction of one. All the time. And nothing has changed since then. Jesus constantly moves in the direction of one. What is it that causes Jesus to do that? What is at the very fabric? What is at the very core of Christ that would make him be this there you are person? It's one thing. Actually, it's one love. It is one love that causes him to step into the lives of others and to intersect with them in such a way that their lives are forever changed. Here's the question that I want you to answer today. I want everybody to look at me. This question you have to come to terms with. This is the question that must bounce around in your head in such a way that it knocks the cobwebs loose today. You need to evaluate yourself. We see how Jesus is doing with the step of love. Here's the question. How are you doing with the step of love? How are you doing with the chair? How are you doing with the one step of love? Let's connect with Christ with prayer right now. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for meeting us right here. Lord, we pause because we want you, Father, to come into this place and fill this place with your love and your mercy and your grace and God, we want to begin to allow this message to penetrate into our hearts so that we will do life the way you want us to do life. God, that we'll begin to see with your eyes and to touch with your hands and to hear with your ears and to walk in your steps. Father, that we'll begin to do life that way. Father, be with us today as we truly evaluate our lives. For it's in your wonderful name. Amen. Listen, let me ask you this. Let's evaluate. Let's trace our steps. How are we doing? With the care of the chair. Are we stepping in the direction of one? Honestly, are you truly stepping in the direction of one? Are we making the person who sits in this chair feel comfortable? Are we making them sense the love of Christ? Are we doing that? Are we doing all that we can? Are we stepping in sync and in rhythm with God's word and with God's will? When it comes to the one in our lives, are we? Are we doing things just as simple as this? How are you doing when it comes to just greeting people at church? How are you doing with that? Some of you right now are saying, well, you know what, Pastor Mark? You've mentioned that a couple of times over the last few weeks. And I understand that greeting thing is important, that we should make everyone feel welcome and recognized and, and a part. I understand that. But you know what? I'm just a little uncomfortable with that. Listen, I understand that it can be uncomfortable for some of you. But you know what? The cross was an uncomfortable thing too. And Christ did it. He climbed on a cross for you and me so that we could pass out and do this love thing. Here's what I want you to realize today. And and that that is this. 
you can make a difference in someone's life with something so simple as just taking a step in their direction. I want you to see that today. That you can make a difference, maybe, in someone's life by just taking one step. Because Jesus asked you. Actually, Jesus commanded you to get to stepping. He didn't use get to stepping. That's today's vernacular. But what he did say is go and make disciples. Go and step into the lives of others and, and help them see who he is. Go and, and, and do what you can to fill these seats. Do what you must to minister to the souls who sit in these seats. And you know what's awesome about Jesus? You've got to grab this. You know what's awesome about Jesus? It's that he did not command you to go without sending you in prayer. Did you know that? Look with me. I'm going to show you something in John 17. You've got to read this with me. A, an incredibly passionate passage of Scripture where Jesus is actually praying for, for you and for me. And look at verse 20. He says this. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. Who Jesus is talking about right here is the disciples. He's been praying for the disciples. He goes to say this, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. You know who that is? That's us. All Christ followers. If you're a Christ follower, he's praying for you. This is 2,000 years ago, and Jesus is praying for you. Wow. Look at verse 21. He says that all of them may be, what is that next word? Hold on a second. That all of you may be what? That all of you may be what? 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 Wow. There's something to this one thing. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22 says, I have given them glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Again, this one thing. Verse 23 talks about unity. He says, I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity. Verse 24, look at 24. Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me. Because you loved me before the creation of the world. And, and, and skip down to verse 26. I want everybody to look at verse 26. Look at the screens. Look at me if you don't have your Bible. Because you've got to hear what verse 26 says. Jesus says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Do you know what Christ is saying right here? Christ is saying this, I have stepped into their lives. And when I stepped into their lives, that's you and I, I deposited this thing called love. And I deposited this thing called love because you gave me love, God. And I deposited that love in their lives. And now I'm hoping that they will be one with us. And they'll step into someone's life and deposit this thing called love. Wow. How awesome is that? And when I read this passage of scripture, I see what it is that drove Christ to do the things that he did. To move the way he did. To step the way that he did. The reason why he did it is because this ferocious four-letter word called love. L-O-V-E. Love. 
as Barry White would say. Love. Say that with me. Love. How many of you love to be loved? Come on. You really love to be loved? Say loved. Man. You sound good. That's what Jesus is about. It's is this love thing. You see, it is love that causes you to be a there-you-are person. It is love that will cause you to step outside of yourself in order to do life with and for others. Did you know that? It is love that will cause you to come to church early so that you can speak to people, so that you can talk to people, so that you can encourage people, so that you can invest in people. It is love that will cause you to stay at church after service is over so that you can love on people. So that you can encourage people. So that you can invest in people. So that you can do the chair right. It is love that will cause you to tell others around you all about what God's doing in your life. It's, it's love. You see, in our culture, in our society, th- this love thing has been beat to death. We talk about love even in the church. But are we doing this four-letter word justice? I really want you to think with me for a second. Are we doing this four-letter word justice because we say we love you? But do we really show that we love? Something that I've noticed about love is that love requires action. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It requires action. I can say that I love you. I love you, man. But the proof is in the A-C-T-I-O-N. The proof is in the action. So here's what I want to do with you this morning. I want to roll up my sleeves with you. And I want to show you how this love relationship with God got started. And I want to show you why we're supposed to step out. And it's just going to take a few minutes to do it. But what I want to do is I want to connect the love dots for you. I want to take you way back some 3,000 years ago. Actually 3,500 years ago. To this dude named Moses. Moses was the the originator, if you will, of how we're supposed to do love. Because Moses had gathered all the people of Israel up, this Hebrew nation, they're about to to move out of the desert into the land of Canaan. And he gathers them all together to give them this farewell speech. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, by the way. And as he gathers them all together, something extraordinary happens. He begins to recount and revisit the covenants of God, the commandments of God, how God had provided for them, all of these things that have gone on for 40 years. And then all of a sudden, Moses does something. At a pivotal moment, moment, Moses says, Hear, that means listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one up until this moment everybody's just kind of been doing like sometimes we do in church (sighs) nodding off but something happened at this very moment you see Moses had gripped their attention at this point in time up until now he'd not said one novel thing all he had been talking about was the, the, the manna and the quail and all the stuff that they had already experienced it was nothing new to them but then Moses followed up Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one with this one statement. It's the first time it was ever recorded in Scripture. He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Right then, he said, make God your one love. 
You see, it is that phrase that shows us the relational aspect of this relationship with God. God desires for us to have this relational aspect with Him. In fact, let me, let me tell you, let me prove it to you even more. Forty years before Moses made that comment, you know where he was at? He was on Mount Sinai, hanging out with God, coming up with the Ten Commandments that God had given him. He walks down from Mount Sinai, and this is recorded in Exodus, and he begins to tell all the people about the Ten Commandments. Smack dab right in the middle of that, there is this statement that God makes that goes somewhat unnoticed. God says this, I will show love to those who love me and keep my commandments. Are you catching this? He says, I will show love to those who love me and who keep my commandments. In other words, God is saying that there is a direct connection between love and obedience. This is getting heavy here for you. There's a direct connection there's a direct connection between love and, and, and action. You see, prior to this passage of Scripture, there had not been any reference made to us loving God. There had been a reference made for us to fear God, for us to worship God, but no reference for us to, to, to love God. We're maybe even a reference for us to love one another, but right here, Moses takes this love thing to a whole new level. He shows us that there has to be a difference between relationship and religion. There's a difference between doing church and being church. Are you with me? He's saying there's such a a difference here. In, In fact, Moses restates the command, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength over one dozen times in the next three or four chapters. He wanted to make sure the people of Israel got that. He was saying, it's got to be love. Moses was fighting for the heart of the people. Now, let me connect the next dot because this is awesome. Move fast forward 1,500 years. All of a sudden, this dude named Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's the product of God's love for us. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave us who? His son. He gave us Jesus. Jesus, one day, he gets trapped by the Pharisees, and the Pharisees grab him up, and they say, we're going to test your knowledge, Jesus. We want to know about the Mosaic law. Tell us what the most important commandment is. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, I'll tell you. He quotes Moses. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength. And they're all like, man, he got it. Man, can you believe that? Yeah, that's right. But then two verses later in Matthew 22, verse 39, don't turn there, he says this. He throws this bomb, pulls the pin. He said, but there's a second command, and it's just as important as the first one. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Hold on a second. Moses didn't say that. Jesus added that. Now Jesus is saying to us that it's not enough just to have this vertical relationship. We've got to have some horizontal love going on. We've got to love those people around us. We have this vertical relationship where we receive love and then we pour it out horizontally on all of those around us. You see, we begin to step towards the chair with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. Do you see what's going on? 
Do you see what's happening here? You see, this is the motivating force as, as to how we are to love one another. It's to step in the direction of one. This is what Jesus was doing. He was showing us how to do this horizontal love thing. Can I tell you this? If you call yourself a Christ follower and you say that you love God, action will not be separate from you. It will be a part of you. A-C-T-I-O-N, love, action, will be a part of what you are and who you are. You'll be stepping towards the chair with everything. Are, are you taking care of the chair? Ask yourself, are you doing everything that you can to take care of the, the chair? You see, we must love our neighbors. Here's what's awesome about this. We understand the origination now of love. Now let me show you how to apply it. I want to give you some team strategy. Say team strategy with me. Three very quick things. We're going to close here in a second. Three very quick things that you must have. If you want to live the way Jesus lived, there are three things that you must do every single day. This is the application of the word. It's, it's not good enough just to hear the word. You've got to apply the word. The very first thing that we've got to do in this one team strategy is this. You've got to recognize the opposition. You see, when you're on a team, there's always an opposing element. You've got to recognize the opposition. In fact, Jesus even warns us of that in John chapter 17. In John 17 verse 15, Jesus is praying, God, I, I want you to bless the disciples. I want you to bless the, the Christ followers. I, I want you to be a part of them. And then he says this. He says, protect them from the evil one. Wow. He says to protect them. You know what Jesus was doing? He was warning us that as we step towards the chair, as we step in the direction of the chair, that the enemy's going to try to step in our direction. He's going to try to discourage us. As we step towards the chair, he's, he's going to try to disrupt us. You see, this dude named Satan has one goal. And it's the big D word. Destruction. Satan wants to destroy marriages. Satan wants to destroy relationships. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your finances. He wants to destroy your occupation. He wants to destroy and disrupt every single thing you do. But you see, what happens when we step towards the chair, he tries to stop us. He tries to, to block us, to keep us from ministering the way Jesus wants us to minister. We've got to recognize the opposition. We've got to understand what he's doing because we've got to make sure that the chair is comfortable for the one. We've got to make sure that he doesn't block us. That's why Christ was so intentional when it came to stepping into the lives of others. Think about this with me. That's why he was so intentional because he knew that if he didn't step into the life of others in Matthew chapter 9, he knew that if he didn't step into their lives that they would be destroyed. You see, there are people that are in this church and outside of this church that God is wanting you to step into their direction. And if you don't, chances are they'll be destroyed. You see, God has placed them in your sphere of influence. We've got to be intentional steppers. And what, what do I mean by that? Let me tell you. You need to understand the power of one step. 
whether a person's been here 100 times, 1,000 times, or the first time. You've got to be intentional about stepping in their direction because one step can make a difference. I'm going to share this quick story with you. I'm going to change this person's name. He's not a part of this church, but I, I want to change his name. His name is Jimmy. Several months ago, I ran into Jimmy. Hadn't seen Jimmy in a while. Hadn't laid eyes on him in a while. And I was in a place to where really, I'm going to be perfectly candidly honest with you, I, I didn't have time to, to really talk to Jimmy. I, I passed Jimmy and I was hoping he wouldn't make eye contact with me. I hadn't seen him in a while and I, I really was just kind of cruised on past. And as I moved past him and we did not make eye contact, I did not get more than 20 steps past him and I felt the Holy Spirit say, you missed an opportunity. But God, I, 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 somebody else. I don't have the time. So as I continued to move on, I couldn't move too far before I really felt terrible and bad. And Oh man, it was making sure no lightning bolts came out of the sky. And I turned around and went back and talked to Jimmy. I just walked up to Jimmy. I had about a five minute conversation with him. I could tell as I was talking to Jimmy that there was something that was really bothering him. He just seemed to kind of be spaced out. I, I could tell that. And, and I just poured into his life. And I, I encouraged him the best that I could. I, I told him, man, you know, God's got some great things for you. I, I, you've got awesome talent. The, the breakthrough is ahead. You have to go, go through it in order to get to it. I, I was going through all of these different things. And I left him kind of with a hug. And I said, man, I love you. If you need anything, you just call me. I passed and exchanged numbers. About three or four, maybe five weeks passed, I run into Jimmy again. Jimmy walks up to me and he says this. He said, I've got to tell you something. You saved my life on that day. Suicide had been such a prevalent thought in my mind for days at that point. And I had finally made up my mind that I was going to do it. And after talking to you just for a few minutes, I realized that, you know what, life's worth living and that God does love me. What I'm here to say to you this morning is one step can make a world of difference. Recognize the opposition. Be on the right side of the chair and step in the direction of love. The second strategy that you must do is this. We've all got to have one heart. One heart means this. Jesus tells us in, in John chapter 17 that we have to be at one. That we have to have unity with one another and with God. What he's saying to us is this, it's that our heart beat and must beat to the rhythm of his. You see, in this place today, we've probably got, I don't know, maybe close to 400 heartbeats. What God wants is all of those heartbeats to congruently become to become one. He wants all of those heartbeats to become one and so that we'll move. The things that cause Christ to move will cause us to move. You see, 170 people, 170 of you two weeks ago pulled a one card out. They're in your seats right in front of you. You pulled that card out and you said, you know what, I want to be a part of the one team. I want to help move this church to the next level, the next growth level that we're going to experience. I want to be a part of it. And you even turned it over and you committed on the back. Different ministries that you were willing to be involved in. You turned them in over 170. If you haven't filled one out, fill one out today. Give it to me. Drop it in the joy box on the way out. But think about this with me. 
We've partnered together to do this awesome thing called the love of Christ. And can you imagine with me just for a minute, I'm going to ask our worship team, our, our, our pianist, if she would, to come back. Can you imagine with me what it would be like if our hearts all beat in unison? If our hearts all began to beat, ba-boom, ba-boom, the there you are mentality. Can you imagine the explosion of God's goodness? Can you? Can you imagine with me what would happen? We've had extraordinary growth in this church and it doesn't have a single thing to do with me. It has everything to do with you and God. But God wants to do so much more. Can you imagine if our hearts began to beat in unison this there you are mentality? You know what will happen? Broken homes will be restored. People who are in financial ruins will see their way out. People who are at the end of their rope will all of a sudden in a miraculous way have more rope. People who can't see the light of day will all of a sudden have have the light turned on in their life here's what's amazing if you haven't caught it yet Moses was saying in the Old Testament 3500 years ago that God will fight for the hearts of the ones that he loves Jesus added love your neighbor You know what he was saying? We've got to be willing to fight for the hearts of those who need him. How are you doing when it comes to stepping? How are you doing? Take one more step with me. That's the last team strategy. Take one more step with me so that we'll have hundreds of more one stories. Take one more step with me. You see, Christ took one more step. It was called Calvary. It was called a hill that he stretched open his arms so wide. Took upon my shame. I don't understand why he did it, but he did it. He took one more step so that my life would be forever changed. How are you stepping today, church? How are you stepping towards the chair? How are you stepping towards the one? What are you doing? You see, in all honesty, in all candidness, if you're not stepping the way you know you're supposed to be stepping, you're breaking the heart of God. You know why? Because He loves you. He's deposited His love in you in hopes that you'll step and deposit His love in someone else. And if you're not, you're breaking His heart. Evaluate your life today. How are you stepping? Stand to your feet and bow your heads with me.